Section one of the Essence of Christianity by Ludwig Feuerbach. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Essence of Christianity by Ludwig Feuerbach. Translated from the German by Marian Evans. Preface Part Two. Religion is the dream of the human mind. But even in dreams we do not find ourselves in emptiness, or in heaven, but on earth, in the realm of reality. We only see real things in the entrancing splendor of imagination and caprice, instead of in the simple daylight of reality and necessity. Hence I do nothing more to religion, and to speculative philosophy and theology also, than to open its eyes, or rather to turn its gaze from the internal towards the external, i.e. I change the object, as it is in the imagination, into the object as it is in reality. But certainly for the present age, which prefers the sign to the thing signified, the copy to the original, fancy to reality, the appearance to the essence, this change, inasmuch as it does away with illusion, is an absolute annihilation, or at least a reckless profanation, for in these days illusion only is sacred, truth profane. Nay, sacredness is held to be enhanced in proportion as truth decreases and illusion increases so that the highest degree of illusion comes to be the highest degree of sacredness religion has disappeared and for it has been substituted even among protestants the appearance of religion the church in order at least that the faith may be imparted to the ignorant and indiscriminating multitude that faith being still the christian because the christian churches stand now as they did a thousand years ago and now as formerly the external signs of the faith are in vogue that which has no longer any existence in faith the faith of the modern world is only an ostensible faith, a faith which does not believe what it fancies that it believes, and is only an undecided, pusillanimous unbelief, is still to pass current as opinion, that which is no longer sacred in itself, and in truth is still at least to seem sacred. Hence the simulated religious indignation of the present age, the age of shows and illusion, concerning my analysis especially of the sacraments. But let it not be demanded of an author who proposes to himself as his goal not the favor of his contemporaries, but only the truth, the unveiled naked truth, that he should have or feign respect towards an empty appearance, especially as the object which underlies this appearance is in itself the culminating point of religion, i.e., the point at which the religious slides into the irreligious. Thus much in justification, not an excuse of my analysis of the sacraments. With regards to the true bearing of my analysis of the sacraments, especially as presented in the concluding chapter, I only remark 
that I therein illustrate by a palpable and visible example the essential purport, the peculiar theme of my work, that I therein call upon the senses themselves to witness to the truth of my analysis and my ideas, and demonstrate ad oculus ad tactum ad gustum what I have taught ad coptum throughout the previous pages, as namely the water of baptism, the wine and the bread of the Lord's Supper, taken in their natural power and significance, are and affect infinitely more than in the supernaturalistic illusory significance. So the object of religion in general, conceived in the sense of this work, i.e. the anthropological sense, is infinitely more productive and real, both in theory and practice, than when accepted in the sense of theology. For as that which is, or is supposed to be imparted in the water, bread, and wine, over and above these natural substances themselves, is something in the imagination only. But in truth, in reality, nothing. So also the object of religion in general, the divine essence, in distinction from the essence of nature and humanity, that is to say, if its attributes, as understanding, love, etc., are and signify something else than these attributes as they belong to man and nature, is only something in the imagination, but in truth and reality nothing. Therefore, this is the moral of the fable. We should not, as is the case in theology and speculative philosophy, make real beings and things into arbitrary signs, vehicles, symbols, or predicates of a distinct, transcendent, absolute, i.e. abstract, being but we should accept and understand them in the significance which they have in themselves, which is identical with their qualities, with those conditions which make them what they are. Thus only do we obtain the key to a real theory and practice. I, in fact, put in the place of the barren baptismal water the beneficent effect of real water. How watery! How trivial! Yes, indeed, very trivial. But so marriage, in its time, was a very trivial truth which Luther, on the ground of his natural good sense, maintained in opposition to the seemingly holy illusion of celibacy. But while I thus view water as a real thing, I at the same time intend it as a vehicle, an image, an example, a symbol of the unholy spirit of my work, just as the water of baptism the object of my analysis, is at once literal and symbolical water. It is the same with bread and wine. Malignity has hence drawn on the conclusion that bathing, eating, and drinking are the summum summarum, the positive result of my work. I make no other reply than this. If the whole of religion is contained in the sacraments, and there are consequently no other religious acts than those which are performed in baptism and the Lord's Supper, then I grant that the entire purport and positive result of my work are bathing, eating, and drinking, since this work is nothing but a faithful, rigid, historical, philosophical analysis of religion. 
the revelation of religion to itself, the awakening of religion to self-consciousness. I say an historical-philosophical analysis in distinction from a merely historical analysis of Christianity. The historical critic, such a one, for example, as Daumer or Gillany, shows that the Lord's Supper is a rite lineally descended from the ancient cultus of human sacrifice, that once, instead of bread and wine, real human flesh and blood were partaken. I, on the contrary, take as the object of my analysis and reduction only the Christian significance of the rite, that view of it which is sanctioned in Christianity, and I proceed on the supposition that only that significance which a dogma or institution has in Christianity, of course in ancient Christianity, not in modern, whether it may present itself in other religions or not, is also the true origin of that dogma or institution in so far as it is Christian. Again, the historical critic, as, for example, Lutzelberger, shows that the narratives of the miracles of Christ resolve themselves into contradictions and absurdities, that they are later fabrications, and that consequently Christ was no miracle worker, nor, in general, that which he is represented to be in the Bible. I, on the other hand, do not inquire what the real natural Christ was or may have been in distinction from what he has been made or has become in supernaturalism. On the contrary, I accept the Christ of religion, but I show that this superhuman being is nothing else than a product and reflex of the supernatural human mind. I do not ask whether this or that or any miracle can happen or not. I only show what miracle is, and I show it not a priori, but by examples of miracles narrated in the Bible as real events. In doing so, however, I answer, or rather preclude, the question as to the possibility or reality of necessity of miracle. Thus much concerning the distinction between me and the historical critics who have attacked Christianity. As regards my relation to Strauss and Bruno Bauer, in company with whom I am constantly named, I merely point out here that the distinction between our works is sufficiently indicated by the distinction between their objects, which is implied even in the title page. Bauer takes for the object of his criticism the evangelical history, i.e. biblical Christianity, or rather biblical theology, Strauss, the system of Christian doctrine and the life of Jesus, which may also be included under the title of Christian doctrine, i.e. dogmatic Christianity, or rather dogmatic theology. I, Christianity in general, i.e. the Christian religion and consequently only Christian philosophy or theology. Hence, I take my citations chiefly from the men in whom Christianity was not merely a theory or a dogma, not merely theology, but religion. My principal theme is Christianity, is religion, as it is the immediate object, the immediate nature of man. Erudition and philosophy are to me only the means by which I bring to light the treasure hidden man. I must further mention that 
the circulation which my work has had amongst the public at large was neither desired nor expected by me it is true that i have always taken as the standard of the mode of teaching and writing not the abstract particular professional philosopher but universal man that i have regarded man as the criterion for truth and not this or that founder of a system and have from the first placed the highest excellence of the philosopher in this that he abstains both as a man and as an author from the ostentation of philosophy i e that he is a philosopher only in reality not formally that he is a quiet philosopher not a loud and still less a brawling one hence in all my works as well as in the present one i have made the utmost clearness simplicity and definiteness a law to myself so that they may be understood at least in the main by every cultivated and thinking man but notwithstanding this my work can be appreciated and fully understood only by the scholar that is to say by the scholar who loves truth who is capable of forming a judgment who is above the notions and prejudices of the learned and the unlearned vulgar for although a thoroughly independent production it has yet its necessary logical basis in history i very frequently refer to this or that historical phenomenon without expressly designating it thinking this superfluous and such references can be understood by the scholar alone thus for example in the very first chapter where i develop the necessary consequences of the standpoint of feeling i allude to jacobi and schleiermacher in the second chapter i allude chiefly to kantism skepticism theism materialism and pantheism in the chapter on the standpoint of religion where i discuss the contradictions between the religious or theological and the physical or natural philosophical view of nature i refer to philosophy in the age of orthodoxy and especially to the philosophy of descartes and leibniz in which this contradiction presents itself in a peculiarly characteristic manner the reader therefore who is unacquainted with the historical facts and ideas presupposed in my work will fail to perceive on what my arguments and ideas hinge no wonder if my propositions often appear to him baseless however firm the footing on which they stand it is true that the subject of my work is of universal human interest moreover its fundamental ideas though not in the form in which they are here expressed or in which they could be expressed under existing circumstances will one day become the common property of mankind for nothing is opposed to them in the present day but empty powerless illusions and prejudices in contradiction with the true nature of man but in considering this subject in the first instance i was under the necessity of treating it as a matter of science of philosophy and rectifying the aberrations of religion theology and speculation i was naturally obliged to use their expressions and even to appear to speculate or which is the same thing to turn theologian myself while i nevertheless only analyze speculation i e reduce theology to anthropology 
My work, as I have said before, contains and applies in the concrete the principle of a new philosophy suited not to the schools, but to man. Yes, it contains that principle, but only by evolving it out of the very core of religion. Hence, be it said in passing, the new philosophy can no longer, like the old Catholic and modern Protestant scholasticism, fall into the temptation to prove its agreement with religion by its agreement with Christian dogmas. On the contrary, being evolved from the nature of religion, it has in itself the true essence of religion, is in its very quality as a philosophy a religion also, but a work which considers ideas in their genesis and explains and demonstrates them in strict sequence is, by the very form which this purpose imposes upon it, unsuited to popular reading. Lastly, as a supplement to this work with regard to many apparently unvindicated positions, I refer to my articles in the Deutsches Jahrbuch, January and February, 1842, to my critiques in Charakteristiken des modernen Alter Christentums, in previous numbers of the same periodical, and to my earlier works, especially the following, P. Bailey, Ein Beitrag zur Geschichte der Philosophie und Menschheit, Ausbach, 1838, and Philosophie und Christentum, Mannheim, 1839. In these works, I have sketched, with a few touches, the historical solution of Christianity, and have shown that Christianity has, in fact, long vanished, not only from the reason, but from the life of mankind, that it is nothing more than a fixed idea, in flagrant contradiction with our fire and life assurance companies, our railroads and steam carriages, our picture and sculpture galleries, our military and industrial schools, our theaters and scientific museums. Ludwig Feuerbach, Bruckberg, February 14th, 1843. End of section one.